Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Asher Marketing Podcast. I'm Anthony Giuliano, and tonight's guest is TJ McGovern. TJ, how you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Well, TJ, thanks for joining us. You came up from Indianapolis, where you hail from, and you're joining us in Fort Wayne. Tell us a little bit about what brings you to the Summit City today. I uh, got started with a new client um, and just kind of laying out the framework and the roadmap of our uh, work together. and. Um, excited. It's a new client that is dealing with uh, the aging population, so it's going to be fun. All right, great. Well, thanks for being here. It's always more fun we can do it in person. So you and I have known each other for quite some time. A long time, yeah. We'll talk a little bit about that. <laughs> but as you know, on this podcast, we talk about your career path, your organization, and some of the projects you're working on. You're a little bit unique among our guests because most of our guests are full-time marketers. You've got a strong marketing component to what you do, but you're in the fundraising world. Mm -hmm, that dirty word sometimes yeah. in certain circles. So. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody hide your wallets because TJ <laughs> is, is looking for looking to raise money. So tell us a little bit about how you got into that field. My understanding, and I always tell people that my research for this show consists of about 30 seconds of looking at your LinkedIn profile, but I know a little bit about your career path. You actually started as an alumni director. That was your first job. Is that correct? That is correct. For a private uh, college prep high school yeah. uh, in the Chicagoland area. Um, I was exposed to all the people, processes, mindsets for development. It was in that uh, unique spot that I experienced my first capital campaign where we did a um, about a $10 million goal for a performing arts center. So great so, experience. So going into that job, did you know you wanted to get into fundraising or was it just kind of somewhere you landed and you've stayed there ever since? Um, I, I don't think I know anyone in this uh, career path that has chosen yeah. to do what I'm doing. It's more, uh, I like to say, falling upward. I fell into it and yeah. just loved um you know, the people and the process and those kinds of things. All right. So let's go from there. So your first job is with a a K-12 institution, is that correct? Uh, no, just a private uh, college prep high school. College prep high school. Okay. Correct. So you're an alumni director. And what's that experience like and where do you go from there? Well, um, it was uh, unique because the principal, who is the CEO in essence of the organization, used to be my religion teacher. Okay. So he knew me, and uh, I did pretty well in his class, so I think that helped. But I was the first alum to ever hold that position. Okay. So it was uh, just a, a great convergence of uh, love of teaching, love of education, um, and then really that's where I got my feet wet um, in terms of you know, using common uh, fundraising for, uh, definitions, you know, annual fund, major gifts, legacy giving, capital campaigns, special events, those kinds of things. But um, after that, I landed uh, here in Indiana. I was there at, uh, I'll just name it if that's okay, Bennett Academy, go Red Wings. Um, um, and landed at very, very fortunately at a statewide organization that represented it at the time, um, all 31 independent uh, higher ed, ed institutions in the state, okay. flagship Notre Dame to Martin University in mm -hmm. Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. Okay. So where do you go from there and how does your career path progress after that? After the independent colleges? Yeah. Um, grad school was uh, mm -hmm. in there as well. Um, got my master's in public administration, specializing in nonprofit management. Yep. It, Sounds nice, but I really um, I like school. I like yeah. learning. 
um, and then landed at the Ivy Tech Foundation um, okay. in Indianapolis. Yep, and that's where you and I met. And you were there for about five years? Is that Six right? years. Six yeah. years. Six okay. years, yep. All right. And tell us about your work there. What were you doing for Ivy Tech and how was that different than what you had done previously? Um, Ivy Tech was a, a really uh, clean environment in terms of it was instead of representing or raising money or advocating on behalf of 31 schools. Ivy Tech was an opportunity to focus singularly on uh, a student that was challenged mm -hmm. um, for no fault of their own, yep. uh, largely in my opinion, because uh, they were in the wrong zip code and yeah. they just really wanted to use education to leverage uh, a better life. Sure. So um, the question is, uh, what didn't I do at Ivy Tech? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they still to this day run a very lean shop, yep. but uh, was focused on um, annual engagement, special events, and then the last few years I really got into and honed a craft for major gift engagement. Okay, and, and what years were you there? Remind me of when you were at Ivy Tech. I want to say 07 to 2013, Okay, 12, so some of those so were, were boom times for Ivy Tech because when the economy is doing not so well, Ivy Tech tends to do very well. Correct. Did and that, that make it easier to raise money or was it more difficult during that time? Um, it was easier, but it was also more difficult because the institution had some leadership yeah. <laughs> challenges. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll just leave that there. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. So um, there wasn't a lot of trust sure. in, in that um, yeah. arena. So yeah. without, there's a reason institutional leaders, particularly in higher ed, announced that they're leaving in 16, yep. 20 months yep. for that continuity of trust. Yep. All right. So let's run away from that topic. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. And, and focus on what you did after that. Well, um, after I departed Ivy Tech, I, I had always had an inclination to um, run my own business. Mm -hmm. And uh, I felt I had the uh, hard knocks mm -hmm. of some epic failures, yep. some great mentors, mm -hmm. and the mixture of those two allowed me to, um, you know, offer unique solutions to clients. So um, I'm a teacher at heart. Yep. I think we, you and I, share that. Yep. And um, I teach clients uh, an unhabitual way to raise money. So when you, we're going to get to McGovern Consulting Group in just a minute, but no, known as. Uh, Mick G. There you go. Thank there you. you. Um, so when when you made that decision, did you already have clients or were you starting from scratch saying, I trust this is going to work and building it from there? Or did you have some relationships that you knew were going to pay the bills? Great question. Um, so when I was still in a W-2 job mm -hmm. um, and in graduate school, um, people were approaching me. Mm -hmm. And so I did that as kind of a small side yep. hustle. And I was just was amazed at the uh, energy, excitement, and zeal I had around that. And there, that's planted the seed. That, gosh, um, I'd like to do this yep. full-time, all the time. And now I serve clients globally. All right. So one, one other wrinkle in your career path that I wanted to mention, you actually taught... Uh, adjunct for for a time, correct? Tell correct. Us, tell us a little bit about, you mentioned you're sort of a natural educator. How did that work into your career and what did you like about it? What were some of the challenges? Well, what I loved about it is I came to the awareness that whether I'm in the classroom or a boardroom mm -hmm. with a board of directors for a client, 
it's the same thing mm -hmm. um, that I'm challenging them to grow, supporting them where they want to go, those kinds of things. The uh, the one of the great benefits of that, I, think I did that for. I don't know, three, four years. Mm -hmm. Many of the students um, that were in my classes, I still keep in touch with, and it's a, just a real joy to watch them grow yeah. Yeah. Uh, to where the, how they want to define success in their life. Yeah, yeah, I, I had a similar experience, really enjoyed the student interaction, enjoyed the ability to bring a perspective to the classroom. The only thing I didn't like about it was, there were two things, grading papers and the fact that it was another job on top of the full-time <laughs> job. So yes. yeah, I understand why you got in and I understand why you got out. The, the, the real benefit, as you know firsthand, um, teaching for Ivy Tech and knowing everyone in the system was beneficial to yeah. students. Uh, I could usually help streamline a solution that yep. was out of my reach, but I could help them get there. Yeah, help them connect the dots beyond the classroom. That's an important piece of it. All right, so let's talk about your organization. Because you've been doing this now for about 10 years. Seven or eight years. Seven yeah, or eight yeah. years, okay. Yeah. I'm not up. good at math, I'm left-handed. Well, so. I'm, I'm apparently even worse at <laughs> We're all in trouble. So you've been doing it for seven or eight years. Tell us what it was like in its infancy, getting started, getting it off the ground, and how you've been able to sustain a business over time. Um, so uh, the first client uh, I landed, actually, the story was that um, a fellow consulting firm that I still have friendly relations with, also based out of Indianapolis, said, hey, we can't handle this. Um, can you do it? And um, <clears throat> the organization still remained nameless for all the obvious reasons, but uh, the work was going great and then fairly good with numbers. Mm -hmm. And uh, I realized the executive director was uh, stealing oh, boy. from the organization. Wow. Okay. Brought it to the attention to the board of directors, um, and they didn't uh, believe me. And wow. they breached the contract. So this first client breaches wow. the contract. So so if we're getting into an area you can't talk about, fair enough. But how did you know that this person was taking money out of the coffers, so to speak? What what tipped you off? Uh, the individual was reallocating dollars that were earmarked very specifically for something else. Okay. Um, and so um, I regularly, when I um, engage with the client, uh, I just don't show up and tell you how to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm right there, shoulder to shoulder sure. with you. I've played every major role in the nonprofit sector. I've been board chair, board member, executive director, director of development, all those things. So it brings a unique perspective. Numbers I do know. So um, that was that was a blow. I think yeah. it was a test. Yeah. Um, you know, wow. in my opinion. Wow. And uh, I still, you know, it was settled. But um, so did that person eventually get found out? And did the board come back and apologize? They did. That? Okay. They All right. Did. Well, at it, least it, you have that going for it, you. <laughs> it took them about uh, 16 months. Wow. But it's when an internal staff member discovered what I did as well. Wow. Okay. And then that legitimized. And yeah. They, you know, because what do consultants do? Come yeah. On, sure. You know? <laughs> sure. Sure. So by then you were off to other things, but Correct. that's a rough, rough way to get started. It is. And I think it, um, life has an uncanny way of testing. How mm -hmm. bad do you want this? Yeah. And sure. the answer was this stuff is going to happen. It hasn't happened since, but yeah. it was a, a good test. Yeah, of, for sure. How bad. So, um, first two years, uh, starting business is difficult, uh, very lean mentality, hungry to take on clients. Um, I, 
you know, I just kept, I had the attitude, if you want to get good at it, just keep doing it, Mm -hmm. regardless of the inevitable speed bumps, which in any career, however imperfect it is, there's going to be bumps. Yeah, for sure. It's how you respond to them that matters. Yeah, yeah. So how do you typically get new business? I want to talk a little bit about the marketing aspects of your work and maybe talk a little bit about the intersection between marketing and development. And let's hear a little bit about how new clients generally come your way. So um, I partner with um, other consulting firms that don't particularly have a specialty in uh, fundraising. Okay. So uh, they might have um, in succession planning or hiring the next executive director, CEO. Uh, But to answer your question directly, referrals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Clients inevitably give me the feedback, and it's a goal Mm -hmm. of mine is to deliver more value than I Mm -hmm. receive. Yep. Um, You know, there's the scope of work and all those boxes are checked. However, if they're struggling with this or they need this, I'm happy to provide it. That's just the added sure. value that I... Sure, sure. So so what do you think is the difference and the similarities between marketing and development funders and call it what you will? What's the intersection, if any, and what are some things that are different in those two disciplines? I'm, I'm always a little cautious when I see... Um, this, particularly with smaller clients, leaner staffs, where the development person is also tasked with marketing. Yep. And that's dangerous because I think it's important to know. And in my mind, the simplest way I can say it, marketing's job is to attract people's attention. Mm-hmm. Fundraising's job is to keep it. Yep. yep. Um, and if you don't know that, then people get overwhelmed. There's a huge burnout issue in the nonprofit sector. I see it all the time. So that's the way that I think about it. Capture keep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when you are presenting your organization to a prospective client, what do you say in terms of what makes you different? Why would someone work with you and not another consultant? Um, the difference is I'm not going to just tell you how to do it. I'm going to actually go with you. So yeah. one of the unique differences that I see is I compare to myself, other similar firms, is that I will actually go along with uh, select individuals on the client side to engage their own constituency. Um, I do track these things that I've been over on over a thousand visits Um on my career, so I know what to say, how to present the opportunity, how to follow up, and how to ask. Okay, so what tips do you have for people? And I'm, I'm going to cheat here a little bit because I'm asking this question as if I'm asking it for the audience's benefit. Sure. But as someone who is currently a board chair and is on a board and is occasionally asked to fundraise, mm-hmm. uh, what what should people do and not do? And not not giving away all your secrets, of course, but what are some of the things that you typically see people doing right? And what are some of the things you typically see people doing wrong when they're asking for gifts or advocacy or both? I'll answer the question in three ways. One of the uh, one, the first one that comes to mind is um, the ask is not a singular event. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. always asking but not always for money. Mm-hmm. Um, two, um, spend, the, the ask is actually simple in some ways, mechanical, depending on the cause and case, but um, a lot more effort needs to be put into predisposition 
And the biggest challenge is to get the visit to get on the current or potential investors calendar. Okay, so so explain what you mean by the effort that goes into predisposition. What exactly does that mean? Um, a lot of, uh, let me go this way, 80% of my clients, uh, the way that they engage transactionally, he emailed direct mail or even relationally, yeah. Um, presenting the opportunity for uh, a big impact on the organization. Hi, I'm I, hi, I'm Anthony I'm from Asher Agency. Give me money. Yeah. I'm, 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 yeah. I'm I'm simplifying that, sure. but that's the essence of it. Predisposition is um, discovering through deliberate dialogue what their animating passion is around their cause and case. Yeah, that's that's the time that needs to be spent prior to getting numbers on the table here asking. Got it. So that by the time you you get the meeting, your visit. Visit. Yes, yes. Is it okay? So Yeah, meeting uh, you know, or I'm glad you didn't say an appointment. Yeah, so okay. as I go to doctors appointments, dental appointments. All right. Visit connotes and communicates that there's there's a relationship okay. there and you're discovering it how deep or not it is and yeah. All right, so so this is why you're the consultant. I'm not. All right, so so you should have a pretty clear indication that this person is inclined to give before you walk in the door. Yeah, there's a variety of ways to do that. I um, a client out of state. Um, we did a survey, and um, they're environmentally focused. And they have um, a lot of visitors and with COVID and everything being shut down, we checked how many times they had come to visit, even mm -hmm. though the main office was closed because of COVID and took the temperature there that could be used for grant writing and form strategy. But one of the questions we asked, we're thinking about launching a monthly giving program. Are you interested? Yes, no. 400 plus people took the survey. Uh, 103 indicated, yes, they would be. Okay. So then a specific message was sent to that cohort, making sure that that was the case. And then a drip campaign to really, and last time I checked, they were doing over 2K a month just from that one question, oh, the wow. strategy that followed up. From okay. So let's talk about visits for a second. Now I've got the terminology, right? Yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> so the past, past 16 months plus, how are you doing that in a world where face-to-face -face is not as available to you? So um, a small arts organization in Indianapolis, um, I ran a um, partnering with them and their leadership and certain board members, a uh, capital expansion um, that well, the goal was two million, and we got it to about one point four, all via Zoom. It's not okay. my ideal, yeah, because uh, body language, tone of voice is not as as hard to read and understand. Again, to discover that animating passion. However, the flip side of that is because of COVID, it was tremendously easier to get on people's calendars. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure, sure. And saving time and money with travel. To, Correct. I'm Correct. sure is, yep. is a big piece of it. So you mentioned that your organization does work globally. Where are some of the places you're, you're working? When you talked about working beyond Indiana, where are some of the places that you do business? Um, I currently, I have a client in California and Ohio, and then globally, I did a project with a consulting firm out of the UK okay. on social impact measurement with um, 
Special Olympics. All right. Okay. It was uh, a social impact measurement organizations that can afford that very disciplined way to show when you make an investment, this is the change that's going to happen. Obviously, Special Olympics being global sure. and fundraising are close cousins. If you can communicate that, you're well above 80% of the nonprofits yeah. out there. Okay. So we'll, we'll come back to that. I want to dig into that, uh, that specific project in just a few minutes. But it sounds like your work isn't just constantly asking for money. No. What, what are the different facets and the different ways you spend your time? So uh, obviously fundraising or funding the vision is yep. my way of saying that, a little good marketing there. Um, strategic clarity uh-huh. versus planning. Okay. Um, I get a call at least once a week, hey, we'd like a strategic plan, but with really they need a strategic clarity, not 40 pages of stuff. Sure. Um, so that with their talent in the team and their resources, how they're going to make a change corresponding with a thousand day plan. Mm-hmm. Where do we want to be in about three years, okay. 12 to 13 quarters. Okay. And then the thing that just naturally has happened that I'm just overjoyed by is, um, you know, being a CEO, executive director of any size nonprofit is a lonely job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You've got to run the day-to-day operations. Yep. You answer to a board of directors that is made up of unique perspectives yep. and my opinion, boards make horrible employers, but perhaps that's another uh, time we could talk about that. Um, I, I coach and challenge the the leader of the organization to grow. Yeah, yeah, okay. So so let's talk about boards for a second. And, and I say this as someone who has been a victim of boards and the victimizer as, as a board member. So I've always... I've always just kind of taken it for granted that that's the way the nonprofit world works, is you have this dedicated group of volunteers that floats in once a month with a variety of expertise, and they're doing the best they can for an hour a month or so, but the real experts are the staff. And a good board understands that, is hands-off on the details, but is there to provide guidance and oversight. But that's sort of an oversimplification. How do you look at that dynamic? And and what are some things that you would advise board members to do to be better stewards of the organizations? And what would you advise executive directors to do to deal with the reality of having a board? Well, um, as consultants are fond of saying, it depends. Yeah, sure, (laughs) sure. Um, So one thing, uh, one uh, point of view, a guiding principle is that boards aren't responsible for fundraising. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you, I have a ton of friends. And in a 22-year career, I've only asked a friend once for a significant gift because the cause and case of that organization was very near and dear to me. And because you want to keep your friends. <laughs> I, well, exactly. Yeah. But yet that's yeah. that's communicated um, and that's not my experience. So sure. um, the boards need to know whose job is what. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. see sometimes boards trying to get involved in the day-to-day operation. Jokingly, I say, okay, in the nonprofit sector, Yeah. Those that are most responsible from every facet, legal, fiduciary, I could keep going, are the ones that only come, to your great point, once a month. Yeah. So taking that a little bit deeper, I can ascertain the overall health of an organization by one indicator. What's the relationship between the executive director, CEO, and the board chair? Hmm. That tells me everything I need to know. Hmm. 
the ideal in that relationship is that they are co-pilots in flying the plane of that organization. Mm -hmm. They need to have twin engines of both the senior administrator role and then the board chair role. I find a lot of board chairs don't know what the ideal governance looks like and whose role is it. One that I see and I regularly and of course in a good loving way, knock board chairs back, don't get involved in the staff Mm -hmm. unless it's a biggie. Yeah. That will get them in federal court, if you know what I mean. Yeah, sure, 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 <laughs> sure, sure. So so in terms of clarifying those roles, if you had to define, here's what the executive director does, here's what the board chair does to be operating as a well-oiled machine, using your twin engines metaphor, what, what do those roles look like? Um, so uh, I'll, I say it's knowing and living within the altitude perspective. What do I mean by that? Vision, strategy, execution. Ideally, depending on the organization, I know smaller organizations, it's convoluted, but hopefully they'll migrate from messy to thriving. Yep. Um, That the board ideally be on the vision and the strategy to ensure that vision. Okay. And then uh, the ED uh, CEO is working on the execution while having input into those other two. All right. That makes sense. Okay. So let's dig into some of the projects you're working on, knowing that some of your work is proprietary and you can only say so much. (laughs) You talked about the work you're doing with Special Olympics. Let's start there. Mm -hmm. How did that come your way and, and what uh, exactly are you doing for that organization and, and why is that meaningful to you? Well, it, it's a it's a past project, but that ah, launched into okay. the global piece. But um, it was, I had a client um, that's very well known in uh, Indiana and uh, Indianapolis, excuse me, and involved in professional sports. This individual had a private foundation and prior to my working with them as a consultant, they had received grant money from a foundation that focused on uh, sports, youth, and wanting to make a change that way. Well, um, the grantee made it mandatory that any uh, recipient had to partake in this training. Okay. And uh, the uh, UK consulting firm Specialty and Social Impact Measurement delivered that. And um, I participated in all that, not as I had to because I wanted to, as sure. I'm always learning. And I just like the way they present the information, got to know them over about a two-year period. Yep. And we both uh, stated intent, let's work together. And so this presented itself with Special Olympics, and uh, it was a great experience. Yeah. Um, global leaders from all over convened and, uh, you know, how to engage, how to organize it. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, well, that's great. So what are some of the other projects that you're currently working on? Some of the things that are keeping you up at night or making you excited or maybe a little bit of both? Um, I, right now, I'm, I'm dealing with an organization that focuses on uh, developmental disabilities and uses equine therapy mm. to help uh, adults um, and kids um, through horses. And um, one of the benefits is that uh, they're getting into a cutting edge where they're utilizing that same model for PTSD, addiction. Mm. Um, you know, they're helping young women that are caught in sex trafficking and pulled out and, you know, the horses are delivering that therapy. So um, getting uh, near wrapped up testing a um about $11 million vision and wow. see if their constituents um, will fund primarily a capital expansion. Okay. 
All right. And what's a typical length of an engagement for you? How long do you typically work with a client? Um, ideally, I would I can make the changes that we agree upon. It does take me a while. Yep. Most of my clients engage me. Um, a scope of work I like to write for 12 months. Okay. And then uh, most clients keep me around. Uh, and then, you know, um, I, I can't deliver any more value to them for sure. three years. Yeah. Okay. All right. So anything else, any other major projects that are on your plate right now, things that are you know, interesting for people to hear about or unique in your experience? Um, I completed a project, uh, food insecurity. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not around a capital expansion. It's more around a fundraising refinement, some unique tools. Um, and ways to engage. And I'm a big fan of feedback loops. Um, always being curious about how their constituencies, A, are feeling about the impact of their station and more specifically, how they're feeling about the donation to the organization. Sure. So that was a really a lot of fun. And um, I'm, I'm keeps me in business because I'm surprised how often executive director, CEO, presidents don't know how to ask, yeah. don't know how to have deliberate dialogue yeah. um, with people that love what they're doing. And yeah. I just was talking to a board member for a client the other day, and he said, TJ, I love this organization. I don't have time to make the change that they are. That's why I give them the money that mm-hmm. I do. So... Um, if anything, the listeners will remember from this podcast, the number one reason people give, take a guess why. Number one reason people give, um, because the right person asked them to give. That's a typical answer. And I'll give you a B minus. <laughs> Better than I deserve. Thanks. The, um, the, the real reason people give, and now with the um, cutting edge technology of neuroscience, uh-huh. because it feels good. Okay. All right. Well, so that makes sense. Yeah. It, the same part of your brain that lights up when you're doing something you enjoy is when you make a philanthropic gift of any size, that same part of your brain lights up. So help them feel good. Here, yeah. tell them what you did with their money. Yeah. Very important. Okay. All right. So let's pivot to the quick uh, hits, the speed round of the show, if you will, mm-hmm. with a few pithy answers to questions that sound a little <laughs> bit like the ones we've, in a couple cases, sound like ones we've already discussed, but that repetition is absolutely intentional. As so, any good teacher would do. Yes. Yes. Trying to cement the information here. So um, <clears throat> when it comes to your career path, you've stayed in a similar track, but you've been an entrepreneur. You've worked for large entities. You've worked for small entities, what's the one piece of career advice that you'd like to pass along that you've learned? Something that, you know, maybe would be inspiring to someone just starting their career. Your, your twins are how old now? 17. Okay. Not that they would listen to your career <laughs> advice, but if you were going to tell them, here's one thing I've learned that you should, you know, think about as you start career, what would that be? Oh, um, I'm a reader, so it's not my quote, but, um, it, the author said, uh, follow your bliss, mm-hmm. that it is important to get education. Sure. Um, but follow what gives you energy, zeal, and excitement. And I can honestly say that most days it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. Yeah. Most of in these days, most of my problems are from the guy in the mirror. Yeah. yeah. So, um, if you have the 
propensity and like I said, falling upward into, you know, starting your business from scratch, that's bold yeah, sure. or stupid, depending yeah, on who yeah, you're talking to. Both, probably, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think both are necessary Yeah. Um, to really have the trust in that it's going to work out and really be tenacious um, about delivering more value than you receive. All right. So if you were going to try to describe your organization very concisely or to share a way in which your organization is different from others who do the same kind of work, what would you say if you had, you know, a minute or less or just a couple of minutes? How would you describe your organization concisely? I go along, partner, struggle, celebrate with clients the defined vision of what the impact that the organization wants to make. Um, I give good advice on my best days and sometimes I'm wrong and I'll admit it and we'll learn from that, but we'll keep going. So to answer your question in a succinct way, I help organizations tell the story, shape the message and fund the desired future that they want. All right, great. Okay, last one. So this one is a little bit of a curveball because we haven't talked about it yet. If train A leaves Chicago at 92 <laughs> yeah. miles an hour. Yeah, what's the conductor's name? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, when we started this podcast about a year ago, the question I was asking people is, you know, about resilience during the pandemic. And then about few months ago, we said, okay, seems like we're coming out of this thing. So what have you learned from it? We might be going back into quarantine and all that. But in any case, what I'd like to hear from you is what have you learned during the during the pandemic that will stick with you? Something that you didn't know or wasn't clear to you going into March of 2020 that now is a reality and that is something you think people should think about moving forward? Um, COVID reminded me that no one wants to talk about money yet according to the giving usa report for last calendar year 410 b billion dollars just give away yet 99 percent of people that i have engaged over my career particularly with clients want to make a difference okay so that mindset of helping align the impact that the organization is making and how they can help you make that difference. Again, discovering those animating passions around the cause and case of the organization is is uh, the fun spot and help me remember that for sure, particularly with COVID. So did, did organizations, did nonprofits, you know, many of them were helped by some, some government funding, but what's the general state of the fundraising environment? Is it strong despite all the uncertainty and challenges? Is it challenged? Um, I think... Uh, COVID showed some real fissures in um, strategy and execution, depending on the sector. Sure. So going back to that uh, food insecurity client, they went through the roof in terms of donations. People felt, well, I, 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 I'm not going to go out of my house, yeah. but I do want to help out. Yeah. Food's the way to do that. Sure. So they saw reactivation rates of donors that were just through the roof. Wow. Okay. The ones uh, that were kind of wishy-washy, no clear path, no clear engagement strategy in a variety of ways, that really came home. Okay. Um, yeah. So 
one of the things that I've learned the hard way, not hard way, it's one of the things that I'm reminded of is don't wait for the perfect strategic plan. Yeah. The rainmaker development director, the perfect executive director, yeah. engage your constituents first and then plan. Not okay. the other way around, okay. waiting for the perfect insert, whatever you want. Engage and then plan. So. All right. So, TJ, if people wanted to connect with you, where's the best place for them to do that? How would they find you or your organization? Um, on the on the web, uh, just my website is uh, mcgimpact, M-C-G, the word impact.com, and that'd be the best way to get a hold of me. And it is a shiny new website, I understand. Yeah. Did you, have you given me feedback on that yet? Or uh, no? no, it's one of the it's one of the many things that I haven't done in August of, and today's the last day of August. Yes. So and it's our birthday month, if I recall. That is correct. Uh, happy birthday. Thing. Yeah, well, thanks for being here. I really appreciate Pleasure. it. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Always thanks for enjoy. making us part of your Fort Wayne visit, and good luck as you move ahead helping nonprofits in the future. And thanks to everyone who took the time to listen to this episode. We'll be back next week with another great guest, and we hope you'll join us then. Thank you.